I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. And we have, we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahe Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, Choice, and this is another round of podcast interviews. This is season four. Holy shit. Season four, episode two uh, for 2023. And uh, the focus is IRAs. So we're, we're, we're talking to someone who quite literally was announced, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago at this point as the new head coach, the associate head coach of Yale. That's right. Now, last week we talked to Steve Gladstone, and now we're talking to the guy that's filling those shoes, starting his own path. I got Mike Gennaro. He's no, he, you know who he is. I mean, geez, Christ. If you're a rower, you know his success at the younger levels in Philadelphia, all the way up to international success and now at Yale. So we're gonna talk about all kinds of things, like how he got to where he is today, a little bit in depth of who he is as a person and like, what is he looking to accomplish uh, in this big role at such a young age? So Mike, thanks for being here, man. Yeah, hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Now, I wanna say this. So I'm, I'm a South Jersey guy. I hated the prep. I'm a mainland dude. I like the prep now, but I got, look, 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 I grew up in the nineties. All right. And the Dallas Cowboys were my favorite team. Now I know you're an Eagles guy. Now I got to say, if this is a problem, we need to just stop this interview and move on because I'm a Cowboys fan. Yeah, I guess, I mean, we'll have to move on, but they're, uh, I guess by the time this interview airs, we'll have some, we'll have some more facts about what's actually going to sure happen. Will. We sure yeah. will. Yeah, we're they're, they're two days away. Play each other. Uh, yeah, yeah. Christmas Eve. Can't wait. Are and you a little Jim, anxious with uh, with Hertz out? I mean, I think he's out, right? He's he's sitting this. Yeah, they just announced this morning that Gardner Minshew is going to start. And uh, no, I wouldn't say I'm anxious. I'm actually excited. Gardner Minshew seems like the man. He just seems like a guy's guy, and everybody loves him. Yeah. And also, he is a big Mike Leach guy. And with Mike Leach just passing. This will be Gardner's first start. And uh, if you're a big believer in the signs and the super superstitions and the gods, all uh, as I am, I think I think things will go well for for Gardner. I don't know if that means the Eagles are going to win, but I think I think it's going to actually gonna ball out. It really doesn't matter. I mean, both 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 teams are in the playoffs at some level. Um, but, you know, there's something going on in Philadelphia right now, dude. You got the Phillies, you know, you got incredible season. All right, look, I don't want to get into the weeds of this. Thing, but let's, <laughs> I want to know. How old were you and where were you when you took that first rowing stroke? Yes, I was a freshman at St. Joe's Prep, so it would have been um, kind of early winter in uh, 2004. Um, And I tried out for the crew team there. Um, My my dad went to St. Joe's Prep and he played football and he rowed. My older brother, uh, Bill, went to St. Joe's Prep and he played football and he rowed. Uh, So I was destined to go to St. Joe's prep um, and tried out for the football team, broke my arm in like the second week of practice. It was, it was terrible. Couldn't play football that year. Couldn't even try out for the basketball team. And uh, my, my mom was basically forcing me to try out for the rowing team. And at at that age and the, the place that I was in mentally, I, I just, I didn't like to be forced to do things um sometimes I like to follow in my older brother's footsteps sometimes I didn't and so I was just I was kind of resentful towards being forced to try out for the rowing team I, I kept saying I didn't want to do it but at the time I didn't know what I wanted to do I didn't know 
what the sport was. I didn't You're know. 14. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think too, at that age, you know, it, there's, there's something about, you know, people are very self-conscious at that age. Um, you know, there's a lot of social pressures to be a certain person or to be good at certain things. And I don't think, I, I, you know, I know that a lot of people don't like being bad at things. So, you know, trying out a new sport for the first time after I already thought I was pretty athletic and pretty good at this sport and that sport, you know, the last thing you want to do is go out there and be a novice at something and be brand new and, and stink at it. And so I think that was probably part of it, but I'm thankful that my mom forced me to do it because it was obviously life-changing. You know, look, prep at that time. So I'm, I'm mainland 04, I graduated. So you're coming in, I'm leaving. We're racing you guys a lot. Um, high school rowing in, in that area was huge. I mean, it was, it was, there was so much competition. It was really starting to develop and grow. Uh, you're part of a team that won quite a bit at, at the prep. So what was that? Um, what was the energy like? What was the environment like from 04 to 07 at, at the prep? Yeah, it's interesting because at the time you didn't know any different, right? Like I said, you, you'd never rode before. You didn't have any perspective on the sport. So anything that was happening, you just thought was normal. Uh, being on a team that big, you thought was normal. You thought every team was that big. Uh, rowing on a river that was full of boats, you thought was normal. And, and you know, little did I or anyone else know at the time that the Schuylkill is, is a total anomaly. You know, you go out there any time of day and there's boat traffic. And I think that's exciting. I think it's fun to be surrounded by the sport. And when you take your first strokes to be fully engulfed in it and surrounded by it, there were masters out there. There were at, at the time, I remember thinking that the pen lightweights were just the coolest and greatest people in the world. They just had at those those early 2000 years, they just had some swagger to the program, yeah. um, you know, and they had this really, you know, eccentric stroke where they were laying back almost parallel to the gunnels. And it, it was just, you know, so to, to be on a, a stretch of river where you're you're looking at college rowers you're looking at masters rowers you know boathouse row has its own history um it was great and then you know later on you realize that not every rowing river and lake in the world is anything like that so i feel very fortunate that i learned to row and started rowing uh, at a program that has as much history as saint joe's prep and you know um it's it's and it's something that you know I think about now as a coach with with recruiting there you know there were a lot of advantages of learning to row at the prep because the standard was set and the bar was raised high and there were people that had come before us all that had gone fast on the erg and won a lot of races so you know the 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 progress that you could make uh was probably a little bit easier than in other programs because of course people had set these records. And then, you know, you think about a guy who might learn the row at a very small program and, you know, the, the all time 2k record is not all that fast, relatively speaking. And, you know, it's more of a challenge for those people to, to push themselves and hit their potential because they don't have that, that standard surrounding them within their program. All right. So look, I got a guy here that uh, works with us here at finish line. He friend of mine for years, Lee Rumpf. All right. Now, Lee yeah. Rump from Thomas Jefferson sits me down. He goes, hey, listen, I need you to ask him one question. 
And I was like, give it to me, dude. He says, how does it feel to lose to me <laughs> back in high school? So answer the question, Mike, how does it feel to lose to Lee Rump from Thomas Jefferson? Yeah. Oh man. High school rivalries were, were something else. <laughs> it was like life or death back then trying to, uh, you know, these guys from Monsignor Bonner were a pain in our side and Thomas Jefferson was having a real good run and, and Winter Park was having a good run. And um, yeah, no, it wasn't it wasn't fun losing to Lee. I think that uh, <laughs> that didn't sit well with me for a long time. But I think that uh, over the course of my career, I found other things to fixate on than than a couple of Stotesbury races. Um but it was, it was, uh, yeah, it, and you know, that was back in a world of no, no social media, you know, right. so, like, and, and there was really, there was, there was no, really no way of knowing how fast anybody was until people started lining up against each other. So, uh, you know, you, you, it was hard to kind of track down people's results and you were just kind of like hearing these rumors and a lot of rumors of which came from the coaches, which for all we knew were probably just completely fabricated as a form of motivation or something <laughs> yeah. like that. But uh, no, it was, it was a lot of fun back then. It was, it, it was, and I think that's another part of uh, just another thing that I'm fortunate to have gone through is just that whole, the whole rivalry world of, of the Philadelphia rowing scene. And, and even at, you know, and, and it, it, it all comes and goes, but you know, at the time LaSalle, who was, St. Joe's Prep's overall rival, just with the entire school, with every other sport. They they had some good crews at the times, and you know we we would all overlap with these guys outside of practice, and you know you're kind of like trying to be a tough guy and puff your chest out whenever you saw guys from these other schools, yeah. as if that's going to make a difference. And you know then Thomas Jefferson's coming to town, and it's like you just wanted to do anything to to beat those guys. Yeah, it was, uh, but. You know, it's all it was all in good fun. And and a guy like Lee and a guy like Ty Otto that you end up meeting down the road and becoming friends with. Uh, it's 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 amazing to learn how similar we all are in this sport in some way or another. I, 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 I made a joke one day with some friends that like we peaked at 18. And, and obviously, <laughs> that's not the case. Like I'm 37 years old. I, I got three kids. Um, and I look back at those times, like they're really fond memories. And it just, it really is just, it's fun to joke about it once in a while. Yeah. Uh, we're better people for it. And I, I had, I had to ask you that question. All right. So you do four years of prep. Where do you go next? Where, where, where do you take your career? Yeah. So I went to Syracuse, which was just one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Um, and why is that? What, what, what led you to the orange men up there? Yeah, good question. Uh, it started with a guy named Phil Marshall, who was their freshman coach at the time. So uh, Phil had recruited me. And isn't, isn't that guy like huge? He's like a really big dude, right? I'm trying to like, I, I, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I guess, he's, coaches. He's, I guess he's big. He's not, he's not massive like a guy like Dan Rook, but he's, he's not small. Because um, I, had, I, had I had a recruiting trip in 2005 at Syracuse and I just remember being I can't remember who picked me up it was a coach there and it was a freshman coach and I think it was Phil Marshall I just um and he Could was it, to me he was a just big as life yeah uh, I think a lot yeah well I think a lot of a lot of people probably appeared to be larger than life especially when we were all getting recruited but uh when I was in high school I was not a strong student academically uh so I didn't have the opportunity to visit any of the Ivy League schools uh I, I had nice. pulled I had pulled a fast 6K score when I was a junior that kind of put me on people's 
radars and I started getting all the snail mail from people. And then once the transcript went through the fax machine to a lot of those people, uh, the, the, the correspondence ended. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of had my sights set on Cal and Washington. They were two of the top programs and, um, you know, that just seemed really exciting to me to have the chance to row for one of those schools. And then this guy from Syracuse just kind of kept reaching out. And the thing with Phil Marshall was that I just, I really enjoyed talking to him. Uh, and a lot of it had nothing to do with rowing. I remember he would just call me and, you know, as a junior in high school, you have this phone call set up with a college coach and it was always like, you're trying to guess what they're going to say and you're nervous. And, you know, some of the conversations I was having with other coaches was, was very scripted and it would be like, how's school going? How'd you do on that exam? How's practice going? And you're like, yes, sir. Yes. Oh, great. Oh my gosh. Like this is so nervous. And then Phil would call and we would just talk about anything but those topics. And so it was really enjoyable. So it was hard all along to say no to a guy like Phil. And then when push came to shove, he invited me on an official and there were two guys from a local Philadelphia high school, uh, three guys from a local high school, Monsignor Bonner that were going up one weekend. And Phil was like, Hey, why don't you just hop in the car with these guys and come on up. And I was like, yeah, hey, why not? Like it's a day off from school and it'll be a fun trip. And uh, yeah, long story short, I ended up deciding to go there. Uh Fun part about that story, though, is that Steve Gladstone was the head coach at Cal at the time. And so when I decided that I wanted to go to Syracuse, I told my dad. And the first thing my dad said was, you have to call everybody and say no before you can call Syracuse. And Whoa. Say yes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I was definitely just going to try to, you know, brush this under the rug and, you know, kind of fizzle it all out. And so. I had to call uh, Gavin White at Temple because I, I took an official at Temple because my older brother Bill went there. I had to call Mike Callahan at Washington. And then I had to call Steve Gladstone at Cal. And I was so nervous to call Steve because I felt like I was really going down this path of going to Cal. And I felt like we were all getting our ducks in a row to make it happen. And I don't know what they thought, but I thought that it was kind of a, a shocking decision to make. And so I was really nervous to call Steve and he couldn't have been happier for me. Uh, we ended up talking on the phone. I remember exactly where I was. We ended up talking on the phone for like an hour. And at the time I didn't know he was a Syracuse alum. So he's yeah. in some way, he was also excited for me because he also went there. And over the course of that phone call, I wouldn't say I was second guessing myself, but there was definitely a moment where I was like, damn, I, this is, this guy is great. Like this is a guy that I would really love to row for, but I, you know, obviously I didn't decide to change my mind. Oh, and so then I call Phil Marshall at Syracuse last after all these phone calls, I'm exhausted. And I'm just like, I can't believe I just had to do that. Now I get to do this. And he was so excited. The phone like got ripped off the wall and we got disconnected. <laughs> I'm sitting there awesome. and I'm just like, what? just happened I was like this is I'm going to bed this is ridiculous but uh and then you know fast forward years later and uh it was a no-brainer when Steve offered me this job at Yale I told him that I wasn't going to turn him down twice in a lifetime oh I, I yeah we'll, we'll we'll definitely get to yeah, that yeah, was yeah. was was Bill Lamb your coach at prep at the time he was yep yep so he was my coach all four years he's actually a good good friend of mine a good family friend uh he and my dad went to St. Joe's prep the same years um yeah. And so, yeah, no, Bill was instrumental in, in, in everything that I've done and everything that I'm doing. Um, and at, at the time I didn't, I didn't really 
you know, I, I, or looking back on it, the Syracuse decision sort of makes sense to me. Uh, I think that Bill Lamb and Dave Reichman are both amazing rowing coaches, but they have very different styles. Um, and, and I think that I didn't know that that was happening at the time, but I definitely think that I was gravitating towards Syracuse and Dave and Phil Marshall because it was the opposite of how I learned to row at the prep and they, they were different coaches. And so, um, yeah, no. And so I think that that was a big part of it. And, and then I think moving on after Syracuse, I think having the experience from both of those programs and both of those coaches was just the perfect storm so why do you know i i, I never asked i i really you and i have not really talked very much at all uh why did you continue on the national team did did you did you feel that you just didn't accomplish enough in high school and college that you just had to just keep pressing oh no i was just i just wasn't good at anything else <laughs> like I, I love that I had no i had no aspirations of becoming a, a lawyer or an engineer or or an accountant. No, it was, it, it was, it was just a natural progression. Um, uh, I tried out for my first junior national team after my junior year of high school at St. Joe's prep and I got cut and that just kind of sparked, you know, uh, just, it was just a bad taste in my mouth and I wanted to go back and do it again. So I was eligible to try out again the summer after my senior year and I made the team and, and that was just such a great experience to, to, you know, put on that uniform and have the flag on your chest and go compete on the world stage. Uh, the were the junior world championships that year in 2007 were in Beijing. It was the test run for the Beijing yeah. Olympics. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and that, that, that was such a great experience. And then went to Syracuse and after my sophomore year, Dave Reichman was helping coached the U23 sculling team and they were doing the uh, selection camp with both the scullers and the sweepers in Oklahoma city that summer. And I, to this day, I don't know why I got invited. I mean, I, I, I think I was doing pretty good and the team was doing good and I was stroking the varsity, but you know, just kind of looking across the country, I think, you know, there were a lot of guys that were better and bigger and stronger than me. I think that maybe it was a handout because Dave was coaching the team and Syracuse only had one other guy that was being invited to camp. So maybe they invited the second Syracuse guy as a handout, but uh, that ended up going well. And I made that team. And then it was all just kind of downhill from there. It just, you know, to me, racing has always been the most fun part of this sport. Just, just the excitement of race day and trying to, manage your emotions on race day and waking up and trying to force breakfast in your stomach and getting on the bus to like all everything about it just just drives me and I, and I loved racing so much uh there were a lot of just kind of boring monotonous moments of practicing and erging and steady state but when it came to race day I just loved it and and having the chance to race on that stage at the world championship level was just unbelievable. And so, you know, after a couple of years of under 23s and kind of starting to size yourself up against who's on the senior team and, and what the calendar looks like with the Olympics, it was just sort of a natural progression to go try out to the senior team after I graduated. So remind me, how many years have you been coaching now, like at Yale total? Uh, this'll be my seventh. So out of seven years at Yale, what do you find are you more nervous as a coach launching your crew or as an athlete on the water? 100% more as a coach. 
I mean, not even close, right? It's yeah, kind of, I mean, a, that's lot, a, real a lot of this, a lot of the same feelings of of waking up on race day and being nervous and being excited, and you know, you're just always thinking about the unknown, and you're always wondering what's going to happen. But as an athlete, you had an opportunity to to do something about it. You could you you would bend the oar and let all the butterflies out and get after it. As a coach, you you launch a crew. 45 minutes before their start time. And then you just walk around in circles and pace across the boatyard and just wait for something to happen. So well, it, it's, it's, it's part of, it's your livelihood too, right? I mean, it's not all about winning. It's not, it's not about crossing first, but it is a livelihood, right? You're, you're, it, there's a whole lot of things that are going on. Um, let me ask you this. How many kids do you have? Uh, one. You have one kid. How old's your, how old's your child? Uh, a daughter, 14 months. Four, so you're, you're new to the game. So <laughs> yeah. You're, I, I got a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a two-year-old, and I'm, I'm so engaged in their lives, right? I love the sports they do. I, I, I help coach whenever I can, and I'm starting to think, like, what are they going to be like when they grow up, right? What are they going to do as a career? Did your, I'm, from a parent's perspective, did your parents support your move to go coach and to uh, take that lifestyle? Because for most of the, most of the time, it's, you're not making a lot of money. There's, there's, fluctuation constantly did you get a lot of parent support oh then? of course oh always i and 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 i i always have um my parents are are incredible i have six brothers and sisters and um oh. you know yeah i'll never <laughs> never be able to repay them for all the sacrifices they've made to help us do everything that we've done um but yeah no they they've always supported it um and and i i, I yeah, i've never really talked to them specifically about it or i've never really asked them what they thought or you know, what they were thinking all along the way. But I remember, um, so my first year of under 23s was after my sophomore year of college. And now I'm a junior at Syracuse and, you know, it's just a no brainer to go try out for the team again. But, sure. uh, you know, on, on college campuses as a junior, you know, everybody is looking to get an internship the summer after their junior year. So at, at Syracuse, it was no different. And so, you know, a lot of the conversations you would have with your classmates and people on campus was just this assumption of, hey, where's your internship this summer? And yeah, like, right. Or, or just like, where, where in New York City are you working this summer? And, you know, after getting asked that question a, a ridiculous amount of times, I started to get a little nervous as to thinking like, man, maybe, maybe that's what I should be doing. And I remember calling my dad and being like, dad, I don't think I can do under 23s this summer. Like, I have to get an internship. And he was just like, what are you talking about? Like there, you, you can get an internship anytime you want. You can get a job anytime you want, but you have this opportunity in front of you and you seem to love it. And you seem to be pretty good at it. Don't, don't worry about what other people are doing. Um, you know, and, and so they've always been supportive. Uh, I think that when I got offered the job at Yale, they were relieved because I had just gotten cut from the 2016 Olympic team, uh, which felt like the 10th time I've been cut from the Olympics overall, because they cut you from the, four and then you go get cut from the eight and then you go get cut from the pair and then you go get they just it's like it's not a one a one yeah. rip, rip of the band-aid and so it was uh yeah it was rough it was rough that that time period of getting cut from that team after having some success in that quadrennial was rough uh and I had no idea what I wanted to do all I knew was I wanted to take a break from rowing um you know very much like a what you would think a midlife crisis would be I didn't know where to go or what to do and I'm just very fortunate and blessed that Coach Gladstone called me out of the blue and they asked if I wanted to come take a look. He called you? He did. And I, yeah, I, um, 
you know, I always seem to keep in touch with him, not, not necessarily directly, but anytime he and I were in the same place, uh, you know, at, on the national team, we would go watch the IRA if it was in town or we'd go travel to watch Eastern Sprints. And, you know, anytime I saw him, I always wanted to go up and say hi to him and shake his hand and just reintroduce myself to him. All right, hold on. Let me just let me interrupt you here. I, I I'm I'm kind of lost on time here. So you, you you're trying you're training. You're you're really doing maybe yep. side hustles and jobs like odd jobs. I was helping coach at Mercer actually. You're coaching at Mercer. You're training for the national team. You don't make the team, and like six months later, Gladstone gives you a call. It says you want a job. Like yeah, it was like it, it was like two weeks later after pair trials. Jesus. Oh. So the only only major coaching career job you've had has been there at Yale. Yep. Yeah. Basically, <laughs> pretty much. You know, sound how you understand how that how that sounds. How ridiculous I sounds. I I know exactly how it sounds, and I just can't emphasize enough how fortunate I feel that that phone call was made. All right. So when when the voice of rowing comes in and says, you know, Mike, I'd like you to come coach at Yale. Uh, how fucking elated were you? I mean, I would have been jump. I would have yanked the cord off of the wall, and I would have lost the connection. Yeah, no, like I said, it, it was definitely a blessing in disguise uh, because of just where I was mentally and emotionally after getting cut from the Olympics. And, uh, you know, I, I was dating my wife at the time and, and I, I you're kind of like looking down the road in that part of my life. And, and I just I didn't know if I, I wanted to stop rowing, but I just know that I didn't want to tread water during the Olympics and wait for everyone to come back and get started training on the next quadrennial. I just knew that I wanted to go away for a little bit. And so actually I, I had been talking with Dave Reichman for a bit um, about trying to go back up to Syracuse. And, and I think a little bit of that was just me being, uh, I don't want to say desperate, but with, with how low of a period it was, all I kept thinking about was Syracuse is, is one place in the world that always makes me happy. And I was just, I just had it in my mind that I want to go back to Syracuse and just spend some time up there because I love it up there and that's far enough away from all of this and I'll be happy up there and, and I'll rediscover myself. And so I had been talking with coach Reichman, but he didn't have any openings on his staff, but he was trying to figure something out where I could be a volunteer coach and do, do some of this or do some of that. And then boom, Steve Gladstone calls. And it was like, how soon can I come up and, look at campus or something. When, when did it, when did it like, uh, when did it click for you? You know, what, at what point did you maybe first couple of months or a couple of years at Yale, they're like, I'm doing this the rest of my life. There's no question about it. This is what I want to do. When did it click? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, it was, yeah, I don't know. There's not an abrupt moment that's sticking out, but that, that first racing season was just, it just incredible. I think that, you know, the reason why, I was so passionate about rowing on the national team was because it was, it was fulfilling something inside of me. You know, like I said, I just loved racing. I loved everything about race day. I loved being on a team. You know, there's all these aspects of being a rower on the national team that were just clicking with me. And it was just, it made me happy and I loved it. And I, you know, was fully invested in it. And then that gets yanked away. And now it's like, geez, like what desk am I going to go sit at? Or like, <laughs> you know, what, where am I going to go to work every day? What am I going to do? And I think there was just this, like, am I ever going to feel that again? Am I ever going to find something that's going to give me that? Or am I just going to go back and keep rowing until they, they, they change the locks on me on the national team? That was also the other plan was I was just going to row until I was like 
100 years old because I didn't know what else I was going to do. And so over the course of that first year here at Yale, I just very gradually started to experience that that all of those fulfillments that I was looking for were being fulfilled. Um, you know, there were just there were just moments throughout the year where you kind of have a breakthrough with coaching a guy that you've been trying to coach for a couple of weeks or, you know, the first couple of races where the guys win and you see how happy they are or just me experiencing what it's like on the other side, being nervous on race day. And all of it was just just hitting the nail on the head. And I just was just very, I was falling in love with it day after day. Um, and then obviously we win the national championship that first year. And that was just incredible. And uh, yeah, so there wasn't one defining moment, but um, it, it's, it's just, it's, I, I love it. I love it so much. And, and I think like you said, you know, the wins and the losses are, what we lose sleep over because we're all competitive and because that's what we get paid to do. But, you know, the, the best part of the job is just being able to help these young guys grow and develop into better people. And that's, I think what I really feel fortunate about, because when I left St. Joe's prep and went to Syracuse, uh, you know, I was a bit of a knucklehead. I was an immature teenager and there were so many people at Syracuse, like Dave Reichman and a guy by the name of Brad Pike, and a lot of people that just helped me grow and develop into a better person. And so being in a position where I get to do that with university age athletes at Yale is just is 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 the best. I mean, te- look, like look, looking at a boat and telling a guy to put his blade in the water here or move your body there. That's exciting. But that is not as gratifying as when you have to pull a guy aside and teach him some sort of life lesson or try or teach him from my the mistakes that I made or help him you know just kind of see the world in a different perspective was it was it hard to uh convince your girlfriend at the time now wife to to move to Connecticut and and to take a job that inevitably you're not making a whole lot of money right you're not this is not some high powered job you're like hey honey I promise this is going to work out was it hard to convince her no she loves me Oh, she just loves you. Yeah, she's obsessed with me. Yeah, she's obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> and we can cut that out, right? Yeah, um, yeah, I'll do my best. Yeah, I'll do my best. Yeah, no, again, she similar to my parents. She, she it was never even a conversation. Uh, I think I it, it was just a no-brainer that this is what I wanted to do. Um, actually, she didn't she didn't move up here the first two years that I was at Yale. So she stayed home oh, in wow. Philadelphia. Um, and I think that that actually, as you know, at that point in your life you know, you have this serious girlfriend and, and you're, you think you're going to get married, but you're not sure. You don't know where the money's going to come from or how anything's going to unfold, but you're, you're kind of sure that you're done. You're done with the dating world. Um, it was, uh, you know, obviously it's, it's tough now that I'm done rowing. You're kind of like, man, I always thought when I was done rowing and start, you know, moving with the girlfriend kind of thing. And so when that didn't happen, it was like, oh, that kind of stinks. We're going to go keep doing this long distance thing. But I think that that was that was also instrumental in my growth as a coach because she wasn't here alongside me. And so it it, it sort of forced me to really dive in and commit to the the job. And it, it and it, it you know, it, it also gave me the time to do that because I wasn't worrying on a daily basis, like, Oh, I got to get home and see how she's doing. Or like, I, I, you know, I, it just, it really kind of freed me up to, to, yeah, it just, it really freed me up to kind of dive into all this. Oh, it's it's, it's focus. It's, it's, it's focus. Right. Um, no, I, so, you know, I, 
I knew that you were at Yale for a while and it was, it was so obvious to the outside world that as, as Steve is starting to come to the end of his career, it's like, oh, Gennaro is a perfect fit. Um, but somewhere in the middle there, there were a lot of positions opening up. You had success as a coach. You're with one of the, you were with the fastest team in the country. Why did you stick with Yale and not take the jobs at Dartmouth or take jobs elsewhere that could have given you a head coaching position sooner uh, than, than not knowing what you're going to do with Yale? That's a good question. And, and that's, it's flattering for you to say that. I, at, at the time that some of those jobs were open, I, I didn't think that I was a better candidate than, than anybody that got hired. But it, yeah, some, at times it, it was brought to my attention and, and people were giving me some suggestions. But um, I just felt like there was too much to learn here. Uh, and, and even after seven years, I feel like I've just barely tapped into Steve Gladstone's mind of of rowing and life and so well let, let's let's talk about that actually so like off camera you you made a comment um and i just talked to steve just even a little bit ago recording our interview and he's like a grandfather i mean he's been around he's 81 years old you guys you guys see more life than your average person so beyond just teaching the mechanics the biomechanics of a stroke like what are some really important things that you learned from that man over the last seven years of your life yeah, one of the biggest things is is about communication, and that is is Steve's secret on coaching. That's not not really a secret, but uh, just the way that he communicates with the athletes, the way that he communicates with other people in the athletic department, the way he communicates with anybody um, is just how things get done. And you know, I think we've all rode for coaches who shout and yell and if you don't do something right they just they say the same thing but louder maybe with some curse words and they all of a sudden think that that's gonna like oh oh okay oh i didn't know that's what you meant it, thanks for thanks for repeating it but louder and you know in a demoralizing tone um and you know the way that steve just communicates with people is fascinating um this in my first year we were sitting in the office and there was a guy in this boat that I was coaching uh, that I couldn't get to do something. And I, you know, I'm out there and I'm telling them to do, to, got, got it, you know, got, come on. And, and I'm in the office and I'm just like, oh, and I'm kind of like banging my head against the wall being like, man, Kevin just like won't do that thing, whatever it was. And Steve looks at me and he's like, well, have, have you talked to him? And I'm like, well, yeah, well, I was talking to him all practice yesterday. What do you mean? With it? It, Mike, were you talking to him? And I was like, well, I'm guessing by the way, you're condescendingly asking that question. The answer is no, I didn't talk to him. And Steve goes, all right, I'll, I'll talk to him. And I was like, oh, okay, we'll see how this goes. So Steve pulled the kid aside before practice, told him what he was doing, why it was wrong, why it wasn't helping the boat, why the change we're trying to get him to make will help the boat, what it's going to feel like. what, it, And just, they just had a conversation. Like, that's it. They just, it was not... Steve sitting on a high horse and talking down to this kid. He was asking him like, well, what do you feel like? Or, or what are you hearing when we're asking you to do this? And it was just a, it was a dialogue. And then from that practice on, the kid never did the thing ever again, ever. Just like in, instant change because Steve gave him the information and the power and the tools and basically put the ball in his court to make the change. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest things that I've learned from him. The other thing is, is just always putting the athletes first, you know, for everybody in the rowing world, we all admire Steve and we all know what he's accomplished and 
you know, he's he's this larger than life figure. But what what's always been impressive and surprising to me is that that's not how he looks at himself. Um, you know, everything that he does day in and day out is for the athletes on our team. Um, and that that is to me is just that's it. That's what the job is. It's not about me. It's not about Steve. It's not about our records um, and accolades as coaches. It's about creating an atmosphere uh, and, and, you know, I don't know how I want to word this, but just creating an experience for these athletes to have the life-changing experience that the rest of us did when we were rowers. Are you, uh, are you nervous? You nervous taking this role and 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 moving in and and not, and not at all. Not at all. No, look, I know there are there are big shoes to fill. Uh, the, the biggest. They couldn't be any bigger. But I can't wait for the challenge. I'm excited. And and the good thing is, is that Steve's not going anywhere. Uh, he's not just going to sail off into the sunset. Uh, if there's if there's one thing that Steve Gladstone is not good at, it's being bored. Um, you know, like, I feel like he struggles to go on vacation with his wife because he's always thinking about rowing. Uh, he always needs to be doing something. He always wants to be doing something. And so there's just no way that whenever he decided to retire, he was just going to move down to Florida and play golf and sit on a porch like, like many people do when they retire at that age. So he's still going to be involved with the program, which is good. Um, because I know as, as most coaches do, we all have people that we turn to for advice and to, to lean on. So I'm, I'm glad that he's still going to be around, but um, no, I, I'm not nervous at all. I'm excited. Um, and I can't wait, frankly. So, um, you know, you're going to have your own voice, right? And I think those, those, those first couple of years, it's like imitation a little bit, you're imitating what you've learned and what you've seen. So, uh, you know, Mike, what are some of your goals, man? What are, what are your personal life goals and team goals with this, with this new movement in your life. I mean, you're only 33. You gotta be one of the youngest IRA coaches out there, if not the youngest, uh, what are some of the goals? Yeah. So I, I think from, from a rowing standpoint, there, there's nothing really to change. Like Steve has created a business model that is successful as far as the rigging goes and as far as the practices and, and the training protocol and the workouts. Uh, I don't have, well, let, me, let me, let me, let me interrupt. Let me interrupt. Yeah. You, you said something so important and it's so subtle, a business model that works. I, I, I got to tell you, not many people think that way. That, that is a very uh, forward thinking way of visualizing this. This is a business model. Yeah. Well, right? I mean, look, and there are, there's just so many aspects of this sport that are adjustable, you know, like every little thing about a boat, and the rigging and, and the workouts that we do and, and 10 minutes or, or 20 minutes or, or four by or three by or whatever it is. And I think as, as a coach, you can go round and round and round and round forever. And so I, you know, uh, I, 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 I take, I've always stolen this line from Mike Tatey, but Mike uh, Tatey, I heard him say to us one time that the reason why he was a good rower and the reason why he's a good coach is because he was a C plus student and his brain didn't have the ability to overthink things. And I've always felt that way about rowing. I've, I've always liked, or I, I've preferred to keep things simple because I don't think I'm smart enough to complicate things. And so with this position that I'm in right now, obviously what Steve's doing is working from 
almost every every aspect of what we need to do as coaches. So why am I going to blow it all up and start from scratch? You know, so a lot of things from the training standpoint and the rigging standpoint, nothing's going to change. And, you know, but my goal is to just is to be as successful as Steve has always been with putting the team first and giving these guys everything that I have to be successful and to be good human beings. That's an, that's that that's an elegant way of saying it. I get it. Um, and look, and I, that 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 definitely sounds like a cliche. Uh, it definitely sounds like a cookie cutter answer. But that that's truly what I believe. And 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 I think and when when you do that, when when you can be selfless as a coach, and when you put the team first, and when you submit everything about yourself to your program and the guys on the team, it it really is remarkable what how that comes back and how that gets shown across the boathouse through results. Put, put me in the room the day that you sat down with Steve and, and you guys had that conversation of like, Mike, you're going to move on now. You're, 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 you're going to be the associate head coach now. What, what put, put a, put the audience in that room, in that space when that happened, like what was going through your mind, your, your emotions, what was said, what was not said, those things. Yeah, it wasn't uh, as, Hollywood as as you would think it wasn't make, like make it Hollywood Mike. Make it Hollywood come on yeah, I mean I, to, to, uh, yeah Mike this might sound surprising but Steve isn't really a Hollywood kind of guy I know I know you know sometimes when you interview him or when he has a microphone in front of him you know he, he is very eloquent and he is very decisive with his words and you know he has this this remarkable ability to keep people on the edge of their seats when he's talking but that's not necessarily how decisions are made and that's not necessarily how he interacts you know with our coaching staff on a day-to-day -day basis and you know it, it was it was the, the 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 news was you know surprising in one sense where he said this is going to be my last year and you know it was like oh geez okay um you know, I mean I, I, like there's I don't know what you know there's really not much to say back like you, sure. you know you're just kind of listening to what he has to say and he said that he was going to go uh you know meet with our athletic director and kind of let the right people know that this decision was going to happen. And then, you know, he was going to try to figure out what everybody's plan was for the future. And so all along, you know, specifically with, with this head coaching job, you know, Steve had said things over the years, like just subtly alluding to, Oh, well, when you take over and, you know, when you're in charge and, and it was always just really flattering to hear him say those things. But I always told my wife, like, we're not going to, put the cart before the horse. Like we're at, he's going to retire. I'm going to apply. I'll get the job or I won't get the job and we'll go from there. But you know, I'm not going to start to get too excited about things. I'm just going to keep doing my job because it seems to be working. And so, um, you know, the news broke that they were going to name me the next head coach and, and it still really hasn't settled in. It's, it's, it's humbling. It's, it's exciting. Um, you know, I told you I wasn't nervous. It, I'm not nervous. It is, but it is just, uh, it's just, it's going to be different in a lot of senses. And, and, but I, I, I truly can't wait for the challenge. And like I said before, I'm glad that Steve's still going to be around to help me and help our program. Did you get a lot of support from the guys on the team? Yeah, I or think so. Athletes. Yeah. I, yeah. And I look, I think to them it's bittersweet and, and it's, it's bittersweet to me as well. Like I don't want to, you know, sometimes when I, have these exciting thoughts about it part of me feels bad because that means that Steve is stepping down I think the athletes kind of felt the same way like 
yeah, oh, this is great. Like Mike's going to be the head coach. But if I say that, does that mean that I'm not excited that Steve, like, you know, so I think everyone, I think everyone is excited that the transition is going to be pretty seamless and that he's not just going to go away forever. And I'm not going to come in and blow everything up and change everything. And also, you know, I think that, you know, these, these guys are all in a very malleable stage of their life. Um, you know, as oarsmen, a lot of them are professional and accomplished, but they're still 19, 20, 21, 22 year old guys. And I think that, uh, you know, and they all made decisions to go to these schools based on a lot of things. And, and one of which is the coaching staff and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's very challenging for any athlete in any sport to have to go through a coaching change in the middle of their career. And it just, it creates a lot of uncertainty. And so, you know, I, I think that for these guys, I hope that they think that it's best case scenario as far as coaching changes go, because someone new is not going to come in here and they're not going to have to try to figure out, well, who is he? And does he know me? Or does he know these things that I did here? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so I think that uh, it's going to be fairly seamless and, you know, Did you have to apply for the job or was it just sort of, he walked in and said, I'm leaving. And then 20 minutes later, the AD's like, Hey Mike, guess what? This is exciting for you. Yeah. Well, I, uh, more or less, I guess that's kind of how it went down. <laughs> I love it. Dude. I love it. I love it. And that, that, that speaks volumes about our athletic department and our administration. And, and that's something that, that can't go overlooked because they have every right to, open up a search and see who applies and um, interview candidates and they decided not to. And that is something that, you know, not only me and Steve are thankful for, but the entire Yale rowing program and alumni and network, um, you know, it, they, our administration does nothing but support us and they're, they're incredible. No, the, the, yeah, no, no, no question. I know a lot of guys that graduated from Yale and, and, Yale is Yale. I mean, it's Yale. It's, 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 it's Yale. It speaks for itself. Uh, I got a couple more questions. I don't want to take up a whole lot of your time here. Um, I want to just briefly talk about the IRA from this past year. These guys that row at that level, like, and, and I, and I will be the first to say, like, I was never at that level. I've never, I've never, never been that good at rowing. I mean, they're like, they're like professionals. They're Olympians. After losing, is the mindset, I got to get that back. I got to get, we're getting gold next year. Is, is what, so put, put, put us in there. Like after they, you know, they, they, they didn't win, right? Cal takes it. Uh, what was the energy level like? And what is it like now prepping for the spring? Yeah, there were definitely a lot of emotions. Um, I mean, almost like too many emotions, right? So it was our first season back at Yale after two years off of the pandemic. Um, and there was a season without us. Um, we had won before the pandemic, we had won the last three IRAs and then we weren't there for the, the one season during the pandemic. So we weren't the defending champions, but we also didn't have the trophy in our possession anymore. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it was just, yeah, the guys, they were, you know, they were as sad as you are after you lose a championship race, but you know, they, they all agreed that that was their race. They did, they executed exactly what we had planned to do. Uh, They didn't leave any stones unturned. And so when that happens, it's just kind of this, this weird feeling of we did what we could have and we lost, you know? So in that sense, I 
should be able to digest this, but I just can't because I'm so frustrated that we lost. Uh, you know, and also it was no surprise to everybody that was paying attention that the, that the Cal Varsity was was an incredible crew. Um, you know, I think if we raced them ten times, I don't know how many times we beat them. They were they were very good. They were very well coached. Uh, they they very rarely made any mistakes, if at all. Um, they did a great job getting the boat off the line. Their base speed was incredible. It was bulletproof, and you know we didn't have any conscious conversations about what it was going to take to beat them. But I think everybody knew that it was going to take our best and then some to get our bow ball ahead of them, even just for a couple hundred meters, let alone sure. at the finish line. Um, are you, are you friendly with these, with the other coaches in the IRA level? And like, Oh yeah. Oh, they're great. Guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when the, the other assistant, when I got hired here was Sam Baum, who then went on to Cal and was there for their season last year, but now he's, stepped away, but Sam was a groomsman at my wedding. Brandon Schald's a good friend of mine. Uh, Scott's great. And yeah, and I'm still good friends with Dave Reichman and, uh, you know, coaches all around the league. It is, it is a really, it's a really great community. I think we, we all have a lot of respect for each other. Like even the coaches at Harvard, I, I have a lot of respect for Charlie and Pat LePage and Jesse, but, you know, on race day, we all want to beat everybody, you know, yeah. there, there there's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing that we can all sort of separate the competition against each other with just the reality of all being humans and being coaches in a, in a, in a sport like this. And well, it's, I mean, it's also just college rowing, you know, like it's, it, it, it is your profession. It is fun, but it's a, it's a race. It's a sport, you know, it's, it's supposed to have some, some levity to it. Uh, you know, I, so this year, I just, I wanted to ask people, what their favorite movies were or their, what do they watch on Netflix now? And I, and I asked Steve is like, because I picture Steve sitting in his den with a cigar and a whiskey and like never watching TV and like reading books all the time. But like, Mike, like when you're at the end of the day, hanging out with your wife, your daughter, like, what are you watching? Like what's on TV at, at the oh, generic? I mean, right now, a lot of Elmo and Coco Melon, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's from about five 30 to six 30 uh, to, to sort of, survive and advance the, the pre-bedtime routine as sure. you remember um no but it's uh i honestly i'll watch anything that'll just help me turn my brain off um yeah. you know i i have shows that that i love that are my favorite but i've also watched almost anything and everything that just allows me to just turn off for an hour or two and not think about certain things and that's you know i i, I don't that that's something that i've always seen with steve like he his brain never turns off. I, I have gotten phone calls from him at all hours of the day about the varsity lineup and what are we going to do tomorrow? And, and what about this guy? And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And, you know, there's something to be said about that. Like he truly is obsessed and in love with this sport and this job. And it's all he thinks about and it's all he cares about. And, and, you know, in some sense, I feel the same way. Um, it's, it's really hard to go home and, you know, especially immediately after a practice where you've just done some pieces or some seat racing or, you know, you were just fixated on coaching this one guy and whether it went well and you're excited or it didn't go well and you're frustrated. It's really hard after a 35 minute drive to just kind of stop thinking about it. Um, you know, so I, I've always tried to put that aside when I walk in the door at home because, um Otherwise you'll just, you'll never turn off, but yeah, no Netflix and, and those shows definitely help you just zone out um, for a while. 
No, that's good advice. I mean, it's kind of advice what you're saying. You know, you have to turn the brain off. Uh, all right, give me, give me, this is it. I want to end it here. Like, give me your top three favorite movies of all time. Oh, boy. Um, I know, I'm going to put you on the spot, but this is, you know, people want to know you. They want to know, you know, they want to know you. Silver Lining Playbook for sure is up there. Oh, my God. Dude, you are exactly, love it. Fucking, you're love exactly it. Love Philly. It. You are Philly. I love it. Oh my God. Um, let me guess. Let me guess. What's the one with Mark Wahlberg? Is that your other favorite one too? Invincible. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good one. That's no Silver Lion Playbook was a great one. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big mafia movie guy. Like The Sopranos was oh, yeah. just incredible. Goodfellas, uh, Bronx Tale. Like those movies, I just I can't get enough of. Oh, well, we grew up on the Bronx Tale. I mean, holy cow! It, it, what, what is the thing he says? If a girl doesn't open the door for you uh you know that's like yeah yeah, like she's done, yeah, she, yeah yeah you're done, yeah she's, she's she's gone yeah, yeah. <laughs> did your wife did your wife open the door for you did you pull that move or what no i must have but if not whatever <laughs> i did seemed to work i got her I, I i i scammed her yeah you did yeah hook line and sinker yeah or as you put it she's obsessed with you but no yeah. I, I, well, we'll try to edit that one out i can't right. i can't i can't i can't blame her either <laughs> look at you <laughs> well big day saturday uh i will text you Every single time Cowboys score a touchdown, just to rub in your face. Uh, it's gonna be a great, <laughs> be a great, great weekend. All right, you know, Mike, we're the guys here at Finish Line Rowers Choice. Like, we're so thrilled to see a young guy from the Philadelphia area taking control of Yale. We're gonna be your biggest fans, cheering you on from the sidelines uh, and the banks of the water. And this was episode two of season uh, four talking about the IRA. So Mike, I hope you enjoyed this and I really appreciate it. This is great. And, and what you guys are doing is awesome. It's so much fun to follow along on social media. Um, and it just seems like it came at the perfect time. Like this is the world that we live in with uh, podcasts and and just kind of like instant instant feed, feedback on social media. And, and, you know, I think you guys did a great thing during the pandemic, sort of keeping the rowing world engaged and thank you and these these podcasts are great so keep up the good work and i appreciate you guys having me hey there it is coming from mike Gennaro. now i know he listens all right everyone tuning in thanks for being here and more from us next week i don't know who we're talking to but it's more higher rate